The Rebel Leadership Podcast, a refreshing take on authentic leadership told through real stories. Let's smash the status quo and change how leaders lead once and for all. Today on the Rebel Leadership Podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with Rand Fishkin. You may have known him previously as the co-founder of Moz and Inbound.org, and currently he's the co-founder and CEO of Spark Toro. He has dedicated his professional life to helping people be better marketers, and the way he does that is fascinating. He makes information and perspective accessible, and he does that through blogging, videos, speaking, and lately his book called Lost and Founder. And here's an insider tip. If you feed him great pasta or whiskey, he'll give you the cheat code to rank number one on Google. So of all the topics we could have geeked out with Rand about, we really wanted to focus on one four-letter dirty word when it comes to business, and that is the word risk. Risks are often associated with negative connotation. It seems like you're making a bold move that hasn't been founded or vetted in data, but When you really think about risks, sometimes it's an emotional connection or it's a need to do something different because all the signs are pointing in that direction. And from the standpoint of rebellious leadership, it's up to that leader to know when it is the right time to take a risk and to see that vision through no matter how many naysayers are around you. So today, let's talk to Rand about all the risks that he's faced in his life to see if we can get some tips and tricks about what it really means to be that risk taker. So Rand, what were the points in your experience that you knew you needed to take the next risk? So I think I think one of the things I would say about my own experiences is that there was almost never a point where I felt 100% confident in a decision, right? That I, I was completely convinced it was the right one. I always have some skepticism. And I think that humility of uh, decision-making and leadership and questioning and ability to see nuance and consider different perspectives can be very, very valuable. It works much better at smaller companies than bigger ones. Expressing doubt in yourself, expressing the risk of decision-making to a small group of people who know you, like you, trust you, is relatively easy and straightforward. Mm -hmm. Doing that to a big company at a big organization doesn't work nearly as well. Um, Why do you feel that way? I I saw it firsthand, Allison. I um, at Moz when I had, you know, forty employees, fifty employees who, you know, had a personal connection with me. I I had interviewed almost all of them. I probably had interviewed all of them and hired them. We had a very trusting, close relationship. To your original question a point where I made a very risky decision and felt that it was the right one was uh, when we switched from consulting to software. So Mm -hmm. Moz, you know, SEO Moz back in the the very early days used to be a consulting business, small consultancy, six or seven people. We basically had some tools that our only programmer on our team had built. We were using them. I wanted to share them with other people. Matt said, no, our servers will get overwhelmed. I was like, Mm -hmm. fine, let's charge for it. He built a little PayPal thing over Christmas so you could subscribe. And then in 2007, we launched this this software. And six months in, the software was doing as much revenue as the consulting business with very little intentional effort from us. 
And so that was one of those times when I said, look, it's a, a risky decision, but I can see from the data, we can, we, we can feel how compelling this is. We yeah. can see the demand. We know that our blogging is bringing all these people to us who need the same product that we've been using. Let's double down. Right. That's a huge business decision to say, the signs are going in this direction, but this will change how we operate as a company. It will change our story, our entire brand. Yep. So in a leadership role in that setting, how do you evaluate all that complexity? And then is it a wake up moment in the middle of the night where you just say, you know what, the data is telling me this, the people around me may be also affirming that, but also disagreeing with me. What is that role of the leader in that moment to say, here's what we're going to go do and why, but drawing that line in the sand to say, here's my decision. And we're going to keep proceeding down that path. So it can be challenging if you are in a place where you're very happy and comfortable with your pre-existing business, if you love the mechanics of it, if you uh, like how the team operates, all those kinds of things, then it's, a, then it's a much tougher decision. I will tell you, for me, it felt like an incredibly easy decision. For, for some reason, there has been a cultural belief that starting a company, running a company, being an entrepreneur, that it is fundamentally a painful process, that you are embracing doing a bunch of things that you don't like to do, but with the hope that you might you know, get financial success and recognition and opportunity and all those kinds of things. Um, and I bought into that hook, line, and sinker as, as a 20-something entrepreneur. I absolutely did. I thought that I had to do lots of things that were personally painful that I didn't like doing. It is a very, very compelling lie that we believe we have to take on this pain. Because I'll tell you, with, with SparkToro, my second company, I sort of took all these things that I learned from the 18 years at, at Moz and then said, I don't want any of that crap anymore. And the limiting belief that I had in my early years was that these uncomfortable things that I didn't want to do, that I wasn't good at, that I didn't enjoy, were sacrifices I had to make. Mm -hmm. um, but in fact, one of the few beautiful things about American capitalism is that you can design your business to work almost any way you want. I wonder too, um, as leaders, and especially I would say 2020 has put every single leader to the test, how has the importance of your mental health been as a leader just in the industry? And, and how do you communicate that to your team so, so that they value importance of that too? I had this uh, call with my co-founder, Casey, who's you know the only other employee at SparkToro. And we were doing okay, but Casey gets on the phone with me and he is just in a bad mental place, right? He's like, I know logically that these things are probably going to be okay, but this year just keeps throwing shit at me. I don't know how I can stomach, you know, the upcoming elections and the more lockdown and what's going to happen with the kids' school. He's kind of the work from home dad. And I was like, I... I totally get it. I understand. You know, they say one of the hardest things about being a founder is managing your own psychology. And Casey said, I hate it. I don't want to manage my psychology. Right. So the, the, the thing that helped me the most was realizing after I had gone through a, a really bad bout of depression at, at, um, during my tenure at Moz, I had actually stepped down as, from the CEO role as a result of that, was realizing that I could 
lean into self-care, remove stressors from my work environment, do things that were totally indulgent. Mm -hmm. It's 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. I want to play video games. <laughs> I'm going to play them. I apologize, but you know what? Yep. I'm done for the day. Today- well, There's the autonomy gonna... of being the founder. It's like, that's what the new belief should be when you're the young up and comer. It's the belief that you control the outcome. You control where you spend your time. You put the right people around you. You choose who you don't put around you. We have this- this warped view of society. Like we need to be talking about this stuff more because it does matter who you surround yourself with tapping into the things that get you up out of bed in the morning, pushing aside the things that you absolutely despise. Like you said, yeah. I think there's so many ideas that are locked into our, especially Americans, right? Like puritanical beliefs about work mm -hmm. and about culture that, you know, that hard work, and, and repetitive work and hours worked are the end-all, be-all, worshipful thing in exchange for return on entrepreneurship yeah. investment. It's not true, right? It's not true. What, what, what I found, right, this silly example, Wednesday, 3 p.m., I stop working, I go, whatever, watch Netflix or play video games or what have you, and do no other work. And then the next morning, I'm suddenly incredibly productive. I can get done in an hour what would have taken me seven hours the night before. I can sail through it the next morning. Why? This is fundamentally how human beings are built. Attention and energy we can devote. And if we lean into self-care, the energy goes back up, yeah. right? You, you are refillable, just like the fuel tank in your car. Yes, you, can, you, you can be refilled and recharged, and then you can spend that energy. And if you are coasting on fumes, you're not going to get very far. It's such a good point. And I think leaders can do this at companies, big or small. So I was reading a story. It's so funny. You just said this. I was reading a story yesterday about Under Armour that they force all of their employees now to take one hour block every day to exercise. Um, and it's shown through their data that everybody is so much more productive because A, um, I'm sure it's more complex than this, but A, it shows them that they value their personal, physical and, and mental health but B, they have that release moment and, and arguably your best ideas and your freshest thinking come from when you're disconnected. So now they're prioritizing that as an agency that, so the culture is boosted, but also their productivity is boosted. So it's like, it doesn't have to be in these small business environments for you to make real leadership change. And those are risky decisions for that leadership to make, to say, okay, we're going to block out five hours of every week times however many employees they have. That's a huge financial quote unquote risk, but is it? Is it? Let's be real. A founder's job, an entrepreneur's job, an information worker of any kind's job is to have great ideas and make exceptional decisions. And those are not bolstered by how many hours you work in a week, but by how many hours of sleep you get, mm -hmm. by how many, uh, by how healthy your behavior and activities are, by how you feel about yourself, by how psychologically safe you feel in your team and how supported by the people around you, by whether you feel loved and can express love openly to the people around you. Those are the things that correlate best with extraordinary decision-making. We, we, gotta, we gotta break free from antiquated ideas that don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. I think too, one of the most exhausting things as a leader, um, and I was having a conversation with our SEO director, shout out Deirdre, she'll freak out for that shout out. <laughs> so just saying, 
she was talking to me about how, um, especially in the world of SEO, um, keeping up with the trends and what you don't see coming, whether it's from our our technical overlords, Google, or whether it's even what's happening in the world of what we did not see coming and how we react to that. And it's exhausting. Hmm. How do you approach that? How do you attack that? I'm an obsessive consumer of information personally, but I have been absolutely surpassed in terms of knowledge and experience and quality of work by uh, SEO professionals who pay very little attention you know, maybe they read one monthly newsletter about what's going on in the field and they otherwise don't really work, concern themselves with, you know, whatever changes Google is making or big tech trends or checking out tech meme every morning or all those kinds of things. And instead they focus, right? They focus their energy and attention on the few projects they need to do, content understanding or audience research or uh, whatever data they need. And it works. It works for them. So I, I think one of the things broadly that, that I believe is not that there's one size fits all, but that success can look very different for different people. And that as an entrepreneur, if you are building a team, th this is one of the reasons I think agencies and consultants work so well for me, for us at SparkToro is because we rely on them to know how they work best. They tell us, they structure the contract, they figure out the work. And so we get the product of exceptional experience and high quality effort. And we don't worry about, oh, is Jess playing video games at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday? Like, I think people management and even more so um, time management rather than quality of output management. Yeah. Um, this is really similar to how folks in like um, results driven studies of any kind look at you know, how that's achieved. And often the, the path to any result achievement looks very, very different for different people and different groups of people and like how they arrive at, con at conclusions. And I think that flexibility is, that's what's missing. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. It's weird to me that the pandemic has exposed this more and more, right? Yeah. That we're all working from home. And so you see like, oh, the hours of sleep for teenagers is time shifted and they're performing better on exams because they appear to be sleeping more but not studying as much how could right. they be doing better oh oh they're sleeping more oh because they're keeping taking care of themselves what was the biggest risk you took this year uh, one of the riskier things that we did, I think it's working well, but it's really hard to say. When the pandemic hit, which was basically, you know, February here in Seattle, we were like one of the, I think we were the first reported cases in the U.S. And so everybody was kind of panicking and Seattleites are already kind of socially distant. So we went into lockdown very, very early. Our our plan, we had been planning to launch SparkToro at the start of March. And we ended, ended up pushing it into I think mid-April, April 20-something. And when we pushed it, we also made the decision to make a forever free account that would give people more access to the product. We had sort of been thinking about it like, well, I think we can make this a mostly pay-to-play product. And instead, it has become very much a freemium product. A, a ton of people, agencies included, uh, some consultants, some you know in-house folks especially, 
they use the 10 free searches a month and they like get almost everything they need from the product. Yeah. Uh, I think Casey is a little more frustrated by that than I am. I feel I feel pretty good about that. I think that's the right decision, but it is a it was a risky decision for us to sort of okay, we're going to launch in the middle of the pandemic, like at the at the height of fear and uncertainty and doubt around this thing and we're going to lean into this free model because we think that a lot yeah. of people won't have budget. Well, I think it, it allows people to use your product before they have to buy. Yeah. Um, so even with us, Jess showed me the tool for the first time in prep for a new business pitch and we have the paid account and it brought up endless ideas that we wouldn't have had without it. So I shared it with my husband who works at ESPN to say, you need to look at this through the lens of all your talent, on-air talent to oh, say like, yeah. what can you learn about your followership that you're not doing enough of? So now he's got it, but he wouldn't have used it if you didn't have, if you didn't take that risk. Right. right? Yeah. That risk pays off. You might just not see it right away. In, in the marketing world, there's so many channels that are hard to measure, but over time you can see and feel the high ROI. And because they're hard to measure, because they're very serendipitous, very few people are willing to invest in them because they can't prove to themselves or their clients that it had high return on investment. Unlike, oh, well, we bought a bunch of Facebook ads and yeah, we spent a million dollars, but we made a million and seven dollars. <laughs> and Facebook is like, Whoa, ha, 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 ha. right? But, <laughs> but those, those serendipitous, uh, difficult to measure channels, those tend to be the ones that are just amazing over the long term. And yeah, it's risky, but if you don't invest there, you're always going to be giving a majority of your margins to the ad platforms instead. A question that I have been personally dying to ask you, which I think the um, idea of the freemium service is the intentional decision behind giving access to information. I built my upcoming career um, by information from the SEO Moms blog a long time ago. Like I, that is something that because that information was accessible and because it was free, that changed so much. That changed so many people's lives, um, which again, number one, thank you. Number two, <laughs> I just had to get that out of the way. Number two, but I see that similar um, thought process, especially in, in SaaS products of this information, giving it to be accessible can be that catalyst of so many bigger decisions. Was that something top of mind for you? Mm. Um, and, and why did you make that decision? I think the interesting part for me personally was that, you know, the SEO Moz blog, Jess, back in its very early days, was essentially born out of my frustration for Google's secret keeping and opacity and unwillingness to, you know, talk about what really worked and, and how their systems were. They're, they are much more open today, although I think still somewhat <laughs> misleading. But you know, back in the early 2000s, there was none of this information. And most of the SEO consultants and SEO blogs and, and information sources were also somewhat secretive because they believed that their unique value proposition was in the knowledge that they had that nobody else had. Now, SEO is not like that at all, right? It's, right. it's hey, lots of people understand how SEO works. We will do the work that is required to have success there, right? And you know that that is a very different pitch than come to me. I'm the only one with the secret knowledge, right? Because SEO Moz started as this um, open, in, transparent information sharing platform and, and portal, 
I built up an addiction to like sharing things openly and transparently to giving away data, stuff, experiments, reports, whatever other people were generally unwilling or unable to give away for free. I wanted to do that, right? If I, that, that was kind of the unique value that we built the platform on um, and, and built up our content marketing. So I think that has been something that stuck with me, not out of a strategic imperative, but rather out of a cultural, historical, personality-driven one. Like that's just well, who it sounds I am. like the way you are talking to us is like how we read your words. Yeah. So it's a, it's born out of authenticity. Yeah. It's like, you can't, you can't not say it how it is. You can't not share your opinion. And there's an audacious side of it where it's like, as a rebel leader, you, you can't not be yourself. And that's where some other leaders fall short because they're so afraid to be themselves and to take those risks by saying the real, real and having the hard conversation and challenging status quo and putting it all out there that, that that's born out of, if you're your true authentic self as a leader, people will, will follow who believe in, in that end goal. I think this is one of the biggest things that gives you freedom as a human being from the things that hold you back in life of, of all kinds, right? Um, I don't care if we're talking about like your, your dating and romantic life or your relationship with your family and friends or uh, your relationship with your coworkers or how you conceive of your business. If you can lean into and have the hard conversations about something that you are hiding, that you're holding inside, that you're, you feel unable or unwilling to express, you know will be a painful, tear-inducing discussion. If, if you are able to overcome that, to come to a place of recognition and peace inside yourself and then reconciliation with the other people who've whatever caused the pain or whose pain you've caused, you get to this amazing place in life. You, you get to be, I, I don't want to say like happy is too small a word for this. Yeah, it is. But, but like euphoric. Yeah, you get a, 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 a sort of life that so few people get, and it doesn't matter, you know, how successful you consider yourself. If you get there, it's such a sort of beautiful thing. Um, I, I can't encourage people to do that enough. It, it's not easy. It's so difficult to process inside yourself. Why do I feel this way? Why am I angry at that person? Why do I carry this fear around with me? Why do I have these irrational biases toward one thing or another? And do I want to keep having them? Yeah. Um, and then maybe the risk isn't so risky. Yeah. I think a lot of the risk that we feel is in being vulnerable yeah. and exposing ourselves to a to what is perceived in this is, I think this is especially true for, for, for men and the concept of masculinity, exposing yourself to what's perceived as weakness, right? And I think, you know, women are especially challenged when they are in what were traditionally considered, you know, masculine roles, like in, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever, right? There's still this like lingering biases around how a leader is supposed to act, how an entrepreneur is supposed to act, how someone who uh, people should follow and pay attention to is supposed to act. It's different from how you want to be as a human. And when mm -hmm. you get around to challenging that and you can be who you actually wanna be, 
Ah, oh, man, so freeing. It's magic. Magic. Thank you so much, Rand. We really appreciate you being on this and giving us a platform to talk to someone as exceptional as you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. It is my absolute pleasure. Allison, Jess, anything I can ever do for you, please let me know. Perfect. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, take care. Thank you.